Stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, visit www.3cr.org.au. Because we got the alternative energy right. making our free autonomy. And welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Hi, my name's Mara. This episode of the Radioactive Show was recorded and produced on Gadigal and Wurundjeri land for 3CR Melbourne. In August 2018, the Bungala Determination Aboriginal Corporation, or BDAC, the native title holders for the Kimber area, sought an injunction in the Supreme Court based on their exclusion from participation in the ballot planned to gauge community support for a radioactive waste facility in the region. The matter was referred to the Human Rights Commission and was then heard in the Federal Court in January 2019. On Friday the 12th of July 2019, Justice White handed down his ruling. The matter was dismissed. The exclusion of traditional owners from participating in the ballot was deemed not a breach of the Racial Discrimination Act. On this radioactive show, Nuclear Free Campaigner for the Australian Conservation Foundation, Dave Sweeney, explains his legal challenge, the outcome and where to from here. Hi, Dave. Thanks for joining us on today's Radioactive show. Yeah, absolute pleasure, Mara. Thanks for the opportunity. So we got a bit of news in the last couple of weeks about the Bangala um, legal challenge about the radioactive waste facility proposed for South Australia. Can you please explain a little bit about the context and basis of that legal challenge, including who were the parties involved? Yeah, sure. So the Bungala people are the uh, traditional owners and the native title holders of a large area of the uh, the Eyre Peninsula, like the area around Wyala and down towards Port Lincoln and over and including the area um, in the central Eyre Peninsula um, around Kimber, um, which is where two of the three sites currently being explored by the federal government um, for a potential national radioactive waste facility are. Two of them are within Kui of the township of Kimber. And last year, the um, the Bungala people finally, after 20 years of, of struggle and effort, got their formal recognition of native title rights for that country. And the Bungala are also neighbours, um, acknowledged neighbours of the two sites. So they have obviously a clear material interest in this issue. Um, the federal government approach, one of the, one of the key uh, tools, if you like, that the federal government want to use to legitimise um, their approach and to uh, basically to demonstrate that it's popular, acceptable and, and sell it is a community ballot. So the federal government engaged or requested that the Kimber District Council commission a ballot to of the Kimber ratepayers um, to assess their mood and their feeling about hosting a National Radioactive Waste Facility. So Kimber Council said yes. You know, federal government said we'll cover all the bills and the costs, but you do it. You need to do it under the Local Government Act. And Kimber Council responded positively to that request and said about doing this. Now, the bungalow then said, well, hang on, you're going to ask people, you're going to send a letter in the, ma- in, in the mail, people will receive an envelope with a window in it and they'll open it up and say, do you want, are you prepared to live with a National Radioactive Waste Facility in Kimber? Yes, no. It's as bold as that. And they said, well, we're the native title holders. We're neighbours to the two sites. We have a material interest. We want our people to be in that uh, that vote. And um, 
the council said, well, you can't because your people are not ratepayers and this is a vote that's constituted under the South Australian Local Government Act and bungalow people don't fall in as ratepayers or approved recognised persons under that act, so we're not going to send you the letter. And so the bungalow then said, well, this is, you know, not acceptable. It's the 21st century. We're the native title holders. We're the traditional owners. We want to say. There was backwards and forwards between the bungalow uh, representatives and the federal government. And the federal government said, well, we'll have a special meeting with you and be mindful of your view. And bungalow said, that's not good enough. There's a ballot. That's what you're going to count. We want to be counted in it. Um, the ballot was due to go ahead. Uh, late August. It was meant to run from the 20th of August to the 24th of September last year, Mara. And just as council were getting it all ready to go, so due to go out on the 20th, on the 16th, Bungala, the Bungala Determination Aboriginal Corporation, the, the, the representative native title body, instructed their lawyers to take action to stop this. They put in an application to the South Australian Supreme Court and they were successful in getting an injunction which restrained the council from sending those ballots. So they, they pushed pause, they stalled and halted the ballot. And the action was based on, we're not being asked, we're not being consulted, we're not being included. Um, and that is not in, that's not consistent with the Racial Discrimination Act. This exclusion of us is inconsistent with the Racial Discrimination Act um, and therefore it should be overturned and we should be included. And that was the basis of the court case that followed. Yeah, um, it's it's been really tough because the reason that they weren't allowed to vote was that they didn't live in that small, narrowly defined geographic area for the ballot, which was the Kimber District Council, and they weren't rate powers ratepayers in that small area. But the reason that they don't live in that area is largely because of the impacts of colonisation. And that's not their choice that they don't happen to live in that particular patch of land, many of them. Um, and so it's underlying racism within the legislation that has led to this. And of course, that native title holders should be able to have a say in what happens on their country. So how, how did this um, injunction that the Bangala people got affect the site selection process? Well, it halted the ballot, um, and so it halted the ballot in Kimber, and um, there was a similar time frame on the other side of Spencer Gulf in the Flinders Ranges, the one other site that the feds are looking at in South Australia up around near Hawker in the Flinders, where the Flinders Ranges Council uh, was going to do a comparable ballot, and that was also halted. The federal government said, look, we can't proceed with one while another's in contest. Obviously, there's material issues. That are, that are the same. Um, the Anyamutna traditional owners had been very strongly opposed to this uh, planned facility and ATLA, the Anyamutna Traditional Lands Association, their native title body and representative body had a very strong position, had reinforced that position and, and restated it at, at consecutive annual general meetings um, and had made it very clear that um, that if the federal government attempted to uh, advance a ballot in, um, in the Flinders Ranges area uh, prior to the resolution of the Bangala case that, that they would um, take comparable action. So the feds put the pause on everything. It went to court um, and it was uh, it was debated out in court. Now, what you said a minute ago is is very true um, in that sense of this is this is part of the of of a real 
policy, like there's a wider policy issue, a wider uh, reality here where many Aboriginal people with deep cultural ties and responsibilities to country don't necessarily live in that country. Sometimes that's because of the impacts of colonisation and, and just a, a sense that, you know, people aren't welcome in a little town. Sometimes it's because of employment opportunities, schooling opportunities, access to health services. Um, sometimes it's for a range of reasons, yeah. fam family obligations or whatever. But we have a situation, say, like um, where people uh, with ties and responsibilities for country around Kimber might live at Wyala or might live at Port Lincoln or might live in Port Augusta and the same in relation to the Flinders Rangers sites. People live in Port Augusta or they might live in Adelaide, you know, for work, study, health, family. Um, and so that does not um, diminish their attachment or connection to that country. That does not reduce their responsibilities to that country and it should not preclude their ability to be actively engaged in decisions about that country. So this court case was a swirl of issues. But as, as, as you know is so often the case, it's the difference between an argument, a discussion, a set of issues. Um, courts aren't places where important issues get ventilated and discussed and where solutions get realised. Courts are places where points of law are argued and determined yay or nay. And so this hung on a point of law over whether the Bangala exclusion from the ballot was uh, in contradiction and contravention of the Racial Discrimination Act. And at the end of it all, just recently, the, the justice in this uh, federal court in Adelaide and in, um, in mid-July, on the 12th of July, made his determination and it was to dismiss the Bangala case um, and the argument he accepted, the judge accepted that the, the Bangala people had been, uh, they had been excluded. He accepted that they were precluded from participating in the ballot, um, but he did not accept that that uh, precluding, that exclusion um, was based on their Aboriginality. He instead said it was based on their non-compliance with the requirements of the South Australian Local Government Act, which is about, like you said, it's about postcode, it's about ratepayer, it's about property rights, if you like, um, rather than native title rights. And so he said, yes, you're excluded. Yes, your voice hasn't been counted. No question, no argument. But it isn't because you're black. It's because you're not paying rates in the Kimber District Council and therefore not in compliance with the Local Government Act. Therefore, they don't have to ask you. So it comes back to that bigger question that you posed, like how is it in the 21st century that really profound impacts and developments and proposals on people's country uh, that it can be lawful, proper, legal to not actively include them in that decision making. Um, that is, you know, the, the, the common sense position, the, the genuine sort of community position would be like, oh, that's their country has been forever. They deserve a say. They should be counted. The legal position is that they're not compliant with the South Australian Local Government Act. Therefore, that's a lawful decision on the part of the council. Therefore, the ballot can go ahead without the inclusion of the Bangala people. Mm, it's, it's a pretty stark contrast between law and justice. Absolutely. Yeah, well said. It absolutely is. Yeah. Um, so what does this mean for the, the dismissal of, of the case? What does it mean for the site selection process going forward? 
Well, that's still yet to be fully played out. Um, like it was only middle July um, when this uh, determination was made. Um, people are obviously looking through the judgment and seeing if there's uh, any grounds for appeal. I understand there's a 28-day period where uh, the bungler and their legal team can appeal this should they choose to. Um, so that's that's a, a consideration that is their call and choice. They'll no doubt be um, you know looking at that. You get into a funny situation though because an appeal is on even even more restrictive points of law rather than another chance. It's it's not like a wrap up in a debate where you've got one minute to make your last pitch. It's like an an increasingly narrow procedural law issues uh, are the, the focus of an appeal. So, you know, Bangla will consider that, they'll consider the whole issue of, of cost, complexity, opportunity cost, and they'll decide whether or not to pursue that. I think what's happening now is that the federal government will is sort of waiting to see whether that appeal will um, will happen. Um, there's also a, a complicating factor for the federal government in as much as there is another legal action by the Anyamutna people on the eastern side of Spencer Gulf, on the Flinders Ranges side, um, and they are taking uh, action in the Australian uh, Human Rights Commission, um, arguing that, uh, comparable to the bungalow that they should be um, uh, in Included and they have been unfairly excluded in the proposed ballot. They're also arguing that wider consultation procedures with the federal government are inadequate and deficient. And they've got a significantly extra piece in, in their armoury, if you like, in, their, in what they're seeking redress about. And they're making a very strong case, and particularly a group of senior women, that there has already been significant um, adverse cultural damage and desecration of a woman's site in the in the siting and identification process. So they're arguing consultation deficient, ballot exclusion unacceptable, and already there's been material and physical and cultural damage to a cultural site and desecration. So there's a bundle of, of legal and procedural challenge happening there. And I think, you know, what what is what is uncertain about this project is a lot. Even the size of the project, the waste acceptance criteria, what it'll hold and for how long, who will run it, all sorts of questions, even years down the track, basic questions like that, Mara, remain unclear and unanswered. What is clear is that there is still deep community concern at both sites deep Aboriginal concern with both bodies of traditional owners um, and many uh, procedural sort of complexities for the federal government to navigate. That's a long-winded answer to your short question. This is still in play. It's complex and it is active and, and live. And, and, you know, ACF, Friends of the Earth, Environment Groups, Civil Society Groups and others are still closely engaged in this on the ground, meeting people, supporting people, but above all, advocating that it doesn't have to be this way. We could do things differently and we could do things better than this. You're listening to the Radioactive Show, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. 
We're speaking with nuclear-free campaigner for the Australian Conservation Foundation, Dave Sweeney, about the recent federal court ruling that the exclusion of traditional owners from participating in a ballot to gauge community support for a radioactive waste facility on their country does not breach the Racial Discrimination Act. The United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples says that the activities like this proposed radioactive waste facility shouldn't happen on country like that without the traditional owners' free, prior and informed consent. And this exclusion from the ballot seems to me that they're not even getting the opportunity to express their consent or not if they're not being included in the consultation process. Um, so it's interesting to see how it ties in with international ob- obligations, which of course aren't binding, but um, it's, it's not well, they, they, with respect. They, well, you're absolutely right. They're, they're, they're not binding, but they are important. And if you want to be a serious, um, you know, mature member of the international community, you abide by the rules. Now, we're on the UN, you know, we're on like uh, UN Human Rights and other significant um, committees, Australia is. Um, we need to step up to that responsibility. We're not in relation to Aboriginal Australia. We're not in relation to this radioactive waste issue. We're not in relation to refugees and immigration issues. Um, And, you know, these are profound, like these are profound um, policy failures and they are profound losses and damage to the body politic in this country, not to sound too pompous about it. These are humans who are on the receiving end of not illegal but improper activity and treatment, not unlawful but unfair um, approaches. And so we need to change that and we need to challenge that. And we we are building the case about the need for uh, radioactive waste management to be based in a way that's consistent with international best practice. And one of the keys, like you've identified the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People, absolutely, you don't need to be a lawyer, absolutely crystal clear the requirement for full, prior, free, prior and informed consent for the disposal of radioactive or toxic waste on Aboriginal lands. And that's what we're looking at. This proposal from the federal government is to dispose, to inter or effectively bury, terraform over containers of low-level radioactive waste with no intention to take them away. Uh, That low-level waste needs to be isolated from people in the community and the environment for a period of around 300 years. But it also has another component, which is to store intermediate level waste, which is post-nuclear reactor waste from the Australian Nuclear Science and Technology Reactor in Sydney, and to store it above ground at this site until a future federal government through a future process, which is undefined, unfunded, has no timetable, has no, has no clear points of, of interaction or responsibility, the second part of the of the federal proposal is in some ways more concerning. It involves the management of intermediate level waste. Now, this material needs to be isolated from people in the environment for a period of around 10,000 years. So it's a very significant management challenge. And at the moment, the federal government approach is we will move it all from the Australian Nuclear Science and Technology Organisation site in Lucas Heights in Sydney to a site in South Australia And at some point in the next 100 years, we will do something else with it. Now, that is unfunded. There is nothing but a promise. There is no timetable. There is no process. 
there is no pathway forward at this time for the long-term management of that waste apart from relocating it from above ground interim storage in an area of high institutional assets in Sydney to above ground interim storage in an area with less institutional assets in regional South Australia. It makes no radiological sense. It is not urgent, it is not necessary, it is not a sensible approach. It is double handling, it is double moving material. Um, and we're deeply concerned that all it is is actually shirking the big issue, the hard issue and decisions and kicking the can down the road and literally moving the can from Sydney to South Australia. And, um, you know, government, as many of us know, has two speeds, it has two approaches, it has crisis and it has back burner. And we're really concerned that should this federal plan go ahead, it'll back burner Australia's worst radioactive waste in a place where it's less on the radar and where there's less institutional assets like security, monitoring, response capacity to deal with any irregularity or, or issue that might arise. So it's, it's, a, it's not a policy that's staged and measured and costed and planned out. It's a promise that a future government will deal with something that a current government finds too hard. Mm, and it's a bit of a concern to, I know, a lot of the members of the affected communities that the low-level waste that's currently stored on defence land at Woomera has been there for about 30 years and those barrels that are there of low-level waste are compromised um, and so that is going to cost, um, I think it was $30 million and take 10 years to sort out and recontainerize if necessary and re reclassify. If they can't manage low-level waste stored on defence land in a 30-year period, people aren't feeling very hopeful about the government's ability to manage intermediate-level waste temporarily stored there for maybe 100 years. So people are really concerned about why, um, how well that would be managed and if anything went wrong, who would be there to sort it out. Well, absolutely. And and this does roll back to what I said earlier about even though we're years down the track of this process and these discussions and that, there's still critical information, not just bits and pieces, but critical information. What are the waste acceptance criteria? What will this facility store, manage, dispose of and hold and for what periods? What's the future pathway for the longest lived, the intermediate level waste? Who will run it? Will it be public? Will it be private? Will it be a consortium? Like real questions still remain uncertain. And just recently we've seen the government increase by 50 or 60 per cent the, um, the story of the size of the facility that they think they'll need. We're also seeing this happening in a context where people are talking about domestic nuclear power which obviously um, raises real concerns for people in these affected communities and well beyond, uh, because should there be a, a bad um, decision and a, a stupid call uh, against all the advice and all the evidence, um, but if Australia went down that path, that's more pressure on this site, this would be the site. So there's a lot here that is remains to be unpacked and to be examined, and that's why we keep coming back. We as a collective civil society groups, trade unions, public health, environment, Indigenous solidarity, uh, faith groups, and we're calling on the government, look, this is hard stuff. We understand it's hard. We're not trying to score political points here. We understand radioactive waste management is hard, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. 
and it, it also doesn't mean that you just bulldoze through with what you think is the most expedient option. You don't go for the most expedient option, you go for the best possible option and you determine that by having uh, what we've never had in this country, a, a review of what's the full range of options. What are the full suite of ways that we can manage Australia's radioactive waste? What are the pros and cons of each of them? And which is the least worst? Now that's not a radical position, it's a common sense position, but it's one that has not been accepted by any federal government to date. Labor is starting to move towards that position. They're now talking about responsible waste management. They're changing their language into a bit more of a sensible and common sense approach. The Greens are already strongly supportive and urging uh, a commission, an inquiry into how that we do this stuff. Um, and we are calling on uh, Minister Canavan as the responsible minister with portfolio carriage of this issue to look, take the politics out of this, take the heat and the division out of this, bring some science, some trust, some transparency, and take a little bit of comfort from the fact that the regulator, the Australian Nuclear uh, Radiation Protection and Nuclear Safety Agency, the federal regulator of nuclear activities in this country, has said that there is no urgency to do this. So it's not urgent, then let's take a breath, hose it all down a bit, bring people to the table rather than the trenches, bring evidence and transparency, build some trust, build a case as to which is the best way forward. And we will continue to prosecute that and we'll continue to work alongside Bangala, Anyamatna, the wider communities in those affected places, and we'll continue to try and advocate in Canberra and beyond that this is a national issue that requires an informed national response. It's not a Telstra tower on a regional hill in a regional part of Australia. It's a national waste policy to deal with material that lasts for 10,000 years. Let's take the time. Let's do it maturely. Let's get it right. That's absolutely right. And I think the important thing to learn or remember about this Bangala court outcome is that it was based on their exclusion from participating in the ballot and the judge ruled that it's not a breach of the, of, of the Act, but it doesn't mean that the site selection process is okay. That's absolutely right. This is a this is a, a point of law about the Racial Discrimination Act. It's not a green light or a vindication of the government process for citing radioactive waste in regional South Australia. Not at all. That's right. Well, Dave, thank you so much for talking us through the complex legalities of radioactive waste management site selection in this country. Um, it's really great to have your insights on the show, as always. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. And, you know, it's a it's a really important issue. I'm sure we'll speak again and hopefully we can continue to advance it so we, we do it differently and we do it better. That's right. We have to. Thanks so much for your time, Dave. Thanks, Mara. Bye. Thanks so much to Dave Sweeney for talking through the recent court ruling that the exclusion of traditional owners from participating in a ballot to gauge community support for a radioactive waste facility on their country does not breach the Racial Discrimination Act. This legal challenge was initiated by the Bangala Determination Aboriginal Corporation, or BDAC, the native title holders for the Kimber area. BDAC released a statement after the ruling. You can read it at www.nodumpalliance.org.au slash bangala underscore statement. That's B-A-R-N-G-A-R-L-A underscore statement. 
We'll continue to keep Radioactive show listeners informed about any developments in this case and also about the legal challenge initiated by the Adnamatna Traditional Lands Association, the native title holders for the Flinders Ranges area. Thanks for listening to the Radioactive show. You can download the podcast of this program at www.3cr.org.au slash radioactive. We'll post links relevant to today's show on our website and Facebook page. If you'd like to get in contact, you can email us on radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. The Radioactive Show was produced with the support of Friends of the Earth's Nuclear Free Collective for 3CR Melbourne and it's broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Thanks for listening and tune in again next week for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues. We'll end today's show with a Paul Kelly and Kev Carmody song, This Land Is Mine. It's from the soundtrack to One Night the Moon, which was filmed in the Flinders Ranges. This land is mine All the way to the old fence line Every break of day I'm working hard just to make it pay This land is mine Yeah, I signed on the dotted line Campfires on the creek bed Bank breathing down my neck They won't take it away They won't take it away They won't take it away from me land is me, rock, water, animal, tree, they are my song, my beans here, where I belong, this land owns me, from generations past to infinity, we're all but woman and man, you only fear what you don't understand. They won't take it away. They won't take it away. They won't take it away from me. This land is mine. This land is me. land owns me This land is mine This land is me They won't take it away They won't take it away They won't take it away from me